Hey everybody, uh, really exciting uh, podcast today. Uh, super excited mainly if you have friends in the advertising and marketing uh, old school madmen world. This was my state of the union of the marketing landscape from a corporate America standpoint uh, that I did it at Facebook headquarters in London. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really, really hopeful that this will bring a lot of value to advertising executives or anybody that you know that's an advertising executive and for all the entrepreneurs and SMBs, small businesses, uh, I, I think you'll extract quite a bit of value from this as well. So enjoy, hope your run is going well, hope you're uh, done picking up the dog's poop, hope you're cozy in the airport, uh, hope you're uh, thrilled in your car right now. Um, I'm just gonna tell my team what I meant. You know, a lot of people listen to the podcast when they walk the dog. Yeah, so that's why I say the poop thing. Anyway, real quick, this is the end of this little rant. Hope you enjoy the London keynote, Facebook headquarters, State of the Union of Marketing on Madison Avenue. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Good afternoon. Um, so super flattered to be here and when I got a little context and got to look at uh, who's in the audience, I really kind of pivoted. So to be very frank, I'd like to uh, convert quite a bit of this to Q&A because I feel like uh, a stunning majority of this room could also be up here and, and be speaking. So I'm gonna lay down some context, uh, some things I'm seeing, uh, some things that um, I think are accepted and not accepted in our collective industries and then hopefully we can go into some Q&A because back to practitionership, I think me sitting up here and pontificating my points of view on what's going on is cool and fine and dandy but widely available in many mediums. Us getting to kind of get into the details underneath that I think are, is far more valuable and so uh, I'm excited to do that. So thanks for having me. So look, I think the most important thing for me is uh, this word attention uh, being a topic is very exciting to me because I realized as even a very young boy who was very entrepreneurial, attention is the thing I've always been chasing. When I had lemonade stands when I was six years old, I didn't stand behind my lemonade stand. I tricked my friends to do that. I made signs and would literally sit on the corners of highways and, and roads and watch people drive to figure out which tree or pole was best for me to put my sign on. And when I realized that like four years ago, actually in some sort of Q&A session, I was like, shit, I've been doing this my whole life. The way that I did baseball card shows where I would spend the first four hours walking the floor and trying to figure out what was hot or what people were responding to or how I'd set up my table. The way when I first started working my dad's liquor store, how I would move around displays or end caps or where wine would be versus beer was completely predicated on the fact that I would stand behind the register and for 10 hours a day just watch people walk in and watch what they would do. Later, when I started building websites, I didn't realize I would have such a kinship with UX and UI designers because I would only think and I would only deploy empathy to why somebody lands on your website and what would they do. And so overdoing and being a practitioner, I've come to this place where I realize how much my religion is attention. And, and the way I think about advertising, and I, and I get caught up in it as well, I think we talk about things being dead or this or next or very absolute statements, but in reality, in my practitionership, what I spend most of my time on is trying to figure out what's overpriced and what's underpriced attention. I understand that there are some people that still go to page 187 of Vogue and look at a picture. I understand that. I don't think it's worth the price that a magazine charges in a 2018 world, but I don't think it's zero. Uh, 
I would love to still buy outdoor media for all my businesses, but I feel like the prices should be adjusted for the fact that every single passenger on earth is looking at their cell phone now, not out the window. That hasn't been adjusted. As a matter of fact, in the climb of mobile device usage, outdoor media has gone up in price because there's less advertisers, so charge more to the small level of demand. So I spend an outrageous amount of time on overpriced and underpriced attention. The big breakthrough in my career was taking over my dad's liquor store and I built my dad's store from a three to a $60 million business in a very short period of time with no money on a very big bet at scale of underpriced attention, which was Google AdWords. In 2001, I owned the majority of the wine terms in America on Google for five to 10 cents a click. Like the floor was five cents back then for all the youngsters in here. And so, you know, really the great regret of my life. The reason I'm the Pied Piper in a lot of ways for Facebook and Instagram in a lot of ways, and soon I won't once this pricing gets corrected, is predicated on my great regret of not growing my dad's business from a three to a $200 million business because what I should have done was spent a lot more money on Google AdWords, but I was young and inexperienced and didn't understand the moment, and so I spent too much money on direct mail, TV, outdoor, newspaper, which at the time, in 1998 was actually properly priced in a lot of ways. I was doing quite well with my direct mail and print. It was just that I was doing remarkable on owning the word Pinot Noir for five cents a click. It took me a long time to realize what actually happened, which is why for the people that have followed me making content online, I was quite quiet in 2012, 13, 14, 15 in comparison to maybe 09 to 12 and definitely to the way I am today. That reason is because there was nothing out there that I was so remarkably compelled to yell about and try to be historically correct because nothing was so remarkably underpriced with the level of scale that it returned. The reason I've been so passionate over the last three to four years on Facebook advertising and Instagram advertising is I am flabbergasted that we are having this conversation and Facebook Inc. is having this issue of not being able to communicate to the biggest brands in the world, and specifically to the biggest brands in the world, how obnoxious this arbitrage is right now. The entrepreneurs and VC-backed companies that are direct-to-consumer in the world understand it very easily. I'm sure many of you, whether you're in it or know people in it, know many small companies that are spending their entire budget on Facebook, Instagram, Instagram influencers, YouTube pre-roll video. So we're living in a world of haves and have-nots in my opinion, and this is what always happens when there's this moment. I genuinely believe anybody, how many people here are entrepreneurs and run their own business? Raise your hands. So for me, just hi, just for my own context. So for me, this group more than anybody is the most interesting because for them I can comfortably say, Every dollar you do not spend on Facebook and Instagram during this era, you'll regret not spending. I, I, I can't believe how much I'm spending because what really is the conversation that's not being had in this space is what we all need as brands or entrepreneurs or individuals, which is a lot more content. If you really deeply understand, how many people here are on the media side, like are media practitioners of Facebook? Just raise your hands. So these individuals that just raised their hands, they deeply know that the, especially when you really know it, that the vulnerability slash the opportunity is we need a hell of a lot more content that's contextual to the planning capabilities of the platform. 
the, the big aha, the big thing that I would love for people to leave here if it brings them value is understanding that I'm producing 100 pieces of content a day for my brand and I'm probably 1,000 to 4,000 short of what I should be doing. Meanwhile, we have the biggest brands in the world that are putting out four pieces of content on the platform for the year because we're interpreting an old world into a new mechanic. I'm a, I, I failed almost all my classes, but one class that I got A's and B's in consistently was history, and it's really interesting how that's played out in my career. I would implore all of you, if you really wanna get a, a, an input to what I think is happening here, if, you, if, you, if this conversation evolves in the next hour and it's valuable, I would implore you to watch the first 100 commercials made for television. The first 100 commercials made for television, which you can widely find on YouTube, um, were radio ads. They were somebody holding up something or an image and then a man read a script and so a radio ad was put and made into a television commercial because we as a creative advertising field in the industry and the businesses hadn't figured out what the television commercial was. To me, the most interesting thing is in 2018, I think most of us agree, we've all accepted that taking a television commercial and putting it in your Facebook feed or YouTube, that doesn't work. I think we all kind of got there. But there is a far bigger 301 to that 101 point of view that needs to be talked about, which is, okay, but what does? The, while we're at the commercial shoot, let's shoot some collateral and use that for Facebook is also a very 101 point of view. If anybody is producing TVC and not producing a hell of a lot more content while they're there, they're already disproportionately behind the reality of the things that we should be doing. Way more importantly to me is should it be interpreting that spot or should we be changing out actors and actresses that demographically would be able to be powerful to the people consuming it? Should we be bringing other products and things there that allow us to shoot completely different things? I think we have a very weak creative conversation around the new channels because I think we come with a perspective from the old world. And so I am fascinated that people even have this debate. How many people here have bought something on Wish, the shopping app? Raise your hands. Raise it high. Own it, don't be scared. Cool, how many people here have never heard, it's cool, I need the honesty here and everyone's very fucking like this. How many people here have never heard of Wish, the shopping app? Raise your hands. This is the best moment of my life. One more time. You have not heard of Wish the Shopping app? Raise your hands. Hi. Okay, this is the best. Thank you very much. Wish, depending on who you listen to because it's a private kind of thing, company, is doing anywhere between three to six billion dollars in revenue. Wish is probably the closest thing to any kind of conceivable threat to Amazon in the world. Wish is doing three to six billion dollars in sales they're spending 98% of their money outside of a Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers patch on the jersey and the McGregor-Mayweather fight. They bought the corner. Outside of those two activations, they were spending 98% of their money on Facebook ads. Wish's founders are engineers from Google that worked on the Google AdWords product. Wish is doing three to six billion dollars in sales and more than half of this room, this room, not some fucking random hundred people on the street in London. This room, more than half of the people don't even know what it is. That 
is the punchline. Thank you. I think why it's the punchline for me is I have empathy to why that is. We, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they make decisions in a focus group of one. I have never made a business decision in my life based on my own behavior. That is laughable, stupid, and just naive at best and ideologically kind of like, <laughs> just, it's not a good idea. And so I'm fascinated by how many people go into rooms and say, Gary, you're right, my 14-year-old daughter uses Instagram. Great, John. You know, it's, it's <laughs> this is not about you or your three friends or your 17-year-old niece or like what your grandma did yesterday. This is fucking data at scale. This is black and white happened. This is not happening, this isn't coming. 90 plus percent of the Fortune 500 CPG brands are declining in market share. In their marketing behavior, 80% of their spend is either on television or programmatic digital, which is digital 2006. This is not confusing. Meanwhile, Gymshark and Fashion Nova and Lola and Movement Watches are going from zero to 25, 50, 100, 500, million dollars in sales on 100% spend on influencer, Facebook, and Instagram. This is not subjective debate like if a video is funny. This is what's happening in the business world. Now, (laughs) just as an observation because it's funny to say, Facebook has done an unbelievably poor job in showcasing the people that use the platform properly in chasing the BMWs and McDonald's and Porsches and GEs of the world. Companies that blindly work on things that have nothing to do, back to the prior presentation, with actual business, but this entire industry that I have come to love trades on either subjective ego opinions or complete horseshit metrics. Included in horseshit metrics are things like data logic. The way that I sold Facebook finally to corporate America because they finally found a report that they liked even though the ROAS on every report of data logics is so phenomenal yet the business did not grow. Data logics is Facebook's version of Nielsen's and Millard Brown and internal MMMs that don't take inputs from Facebook and all the other currency that people are trading on that has nothing to do with the actual business. I'm fascinated by this because it is not very difficult to do an A-B test that does a holdout cluster that can prove to Nestle's if their ads on Facebook versus their ads on television are driving sales at Tesco or Sainsbury or Walmart. You can do it if you actually cared to do it. This is a remarkably interesting time. I wanna remind this very smart room that the number one advertiser on Google during the five to seven golden years of it being massively underpriced attention was a company called Amazon. When you strike, when you have the best hand, you win. I am fascinated by the lack of conversation around what happens when you actually break down your potential customer into 20 to 50 to 100 meaningful segmentations, both demographically and psychographically, you know that's who you're gonna reach, and then you start creating creative that has a far high likelihood to address a reaction from that individual. The fact that the current industry of marketing 
has creative agencies completely separated from media buying agencies and have no relationship or conversation. The fact that so much of my media department at VaynerMedia were people that worked at Social Code and other FMPs and things of that nature and they would spend tens of millions of dollars on media and never have one conversation with the creative, let alone the agency that was the media agency of record that was sending the money to the FMPs, taking a VIG on the send and doing nothing along the way. We were just broken and by the way, as I'm ranting this, so many of your heads are shaking your heads. To my point, more than half of this room could be up here talking. This is, I'm not smart. I'm just not in a position where anyone can fire me. <laughs> I mean, this is like, if you've, now, now, some people just aren't in the trenches, right? When I saw the media hands go up, they're in the trenches, they know, they know, Jesus Christ, if I had 2,700 pieces of content that were contextual and copy to support it, I could do damage here. They know that companies are thrilled to pay lower CPMs, which is usually behavior that makes all the creative vanilla and doesn't get anyone to do anything. I don't know, how many people saw the big short? Raise your hands. I'm just that dude with the weird eye. <laughs> this is not smart. This is obvious if you have a half a brain cell, this is about having the conversation that's actually happening and why it's not happening. That's the more interesting question. Why, when so many people in this room know exactly what's happening and what to do, are they in a position to not do it? That is the far more interesting question. The debate of whether Facebook and Instagram works or influencers work or pre-roll YouTube works or pre-roll podcasting works, that answer is spend a couple bucks against something that you can clearly see. Like My favorite thing about the growth of e-commerce is it's gonna eliminate debates. The growth of e-commerce is going to eliminate debates because we're gonna have the feedback loop of the entire funnel and there will be no conversation. People get really sad when they run television to drive people to buy shit on Amazon and they convert that versus what they can do elsewhere for a hell of a lot less money. We've been able in our industry to do a lot of bad work because nobody's keeping it accountable. The things that we've bought into have you ever dug into the hyperbole of award-winning work sells products? Do you know where that comes from? Do you know who funded it? You know, I, I'm fascinated by this industry. I think one of the great things, one of the things I recommend all of you is at least one time in your career make a fundamental career change and go into an industry with fresh eyes. You will be stunned how smart you will be. I think that was my great advantage. I didn't know. When I started VaynerMedia, I didn't know that media and creative was separate. It was just what I did at Wine Library and, and the only way I saw the internet work and so I just built that. It wasn't smart, it was naive and practical. And so my rant here is predicated on one thing. This is, a, in 2019, to even have this conversation is underwhelming. To, in 2019 to even have this conversation is underwhelming. Like, this has been proven, this is no longer should we guess? There's countless examples. Now, the problem is, for some people that are in the trenches and have run stuff, is like anything, if you don't play a item right, it won't work. Unbelievable amounts of money have been wasted on Facebook and Instagram because of a million different things. The creative was not strong, the targeting and the creative was not contextual to each other, 
there's a million different reasons why it's happened. So, you know, the ROI of a piano to me is zero. To Elton John, it's been a billion dollars. Like this is, you know, cool, it works, but now what? And, and that's why, the, how many people here are from a creative agency or work on the creative side? Just curiosity. We have a lot of work to do to be able to figure out a way to make quantity and quality contextual to the places where the end consumer's attention is to make it palpable to be able to support the capabilities of the targeting and the scale behind it. That's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. It's really, you know, it's a hell of a lot easier to figure out how you're gonna spend $2 million on one piece of content versus how you're gonna spend $2 million on 47,000. Takes a lot of project management, <laughs> takes a lot of strategy, takes a lot of humility. Takes a lot of things that are just not entrenched into our industry. An industry that, let's not forget, is completely basically 93% of the agencies, because they're under holding companies, are really CFO driven machines, which don't really lead to creativity. And so, and that's not bad, I love business. That's just the truth. And so, I think it's a really interesting time, and I do think especially for the entrepreneurs, and I saw your hands go up, like, you will regret every dollar you don't spend, because I sure do about Google 2001 to 2005. And I'm not making that mistake this time. My wife was yelling at me because I'm spending all our money on Facebook and Instagram ads. And I said, baby, don't worry. In three years, you're gonna be really happy with me. And because and I'm building brand. That's the other thing, that might be a good topic. I think one of the interesting conversations that I'm watching float out is a, some weird acceptance from the industry of like, okay, yeah, Facebook works for direct response, but it's not good for brand. And that's been really fun for me to watch because I actually think about it reverse. I think that Facebook's, and Facebook knows this, my points of view on Facebook's best practices creatively is something I fundamentally disagree with because I think it panders to reporting and things of that nature. But back to the creatives in the room, like you want to win creatively, make something that's good. Like make something people want to watch. Like you can't imagine what happens when you make a piece of video content that's really good, that people watch for two minutes and nine seconds all the way through or 50% of the way through and then you remarket them with a call to action. You can't imagine. You want to really believe in marketing? Do that. You want to really believe in how marketing works? Let me give you the quickest way you can feel really good at putting your head on a pillow and saying, yeah, this shit actually works. Make a great fucking video, target it properly, get hundreds of thousands of people to see quite a bit of it, and then remarket them for a call to action and watch how many convert. You'll believe in marketing for the rest of your life. It works. It's just that nobody's natively building for that. This, is, this place is an afterthought to the biggest brands in the world. Let's not get it confused. If you're Dr. Pepper or BMW, it's an afterthought. First is the strategy and the creative pillar, which is super fun. By the way, the most fun thing with Naive Eyes is realizing every brand's tagline is the same. You know, we're aspiring the next generation. Or like, Coke, drink it. Like, it's all vanilla. It has to be vanilla because it used to be one thing on one channel at scale. It completely eliminates all the opportunity we have Every brand should have 20 to 40 to 70 meaningful segmentations and producing content at scale against those segmentations and delivering that through underpriced media places like Facebook and Instagram, pre-roll YouTube, pre-roll podcasts, and other places of such. That's how I think about attention. Find it where it's underpriced and then disproportionately care about the end consumer on the other side and the platform's capabilities to create the creative that's contextual to that environment and drive it as long as you can 
because here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, over the course of the next decade, inevitably the economy will soften. Inevitably, the biggest brands in the world's marketing budgets will go from 100 million to 42 million, which means they're gonna care where the money goes more. When they care when the money goes more, they're gonna start scrutinizing where it goes. When they start scrutinizing where it goes, they're gonna start putting it in better places. This place is gonna be one of the places that gets it, predominantly probably on the timing that I think, on Instagram. When it does, $4 CPMs become $18 CPMs. At the same token, we, in our feeds, are gonna get continuously less into paying attention because it's all cat and mouse. The early feed stuff on Facebook, you watched real carefully. Now, not as much. My email open rates for winelibrary.com in 1997, 93%. Yeah, fucking nuts. For all, how many people under 30? Raise your hands. Amazing. Kids, back in the day, (laughs) when email first started, it was crazy. Nobody knew what it was, so we treated it like regular mail. And when you would send an email, everybody read every fucking word of every email. Over time, marketers ruined it and now 90% is 30% if you're a hero. Same thing with the feed. Now the advantage is Facebook, unlike the email client servers, Google was late to figure this out, has more control to make sure we don't get stuff that we don't want, hence has a far bigger upside because they stay religious about, the only thing this company has is your attention. I love when people are like, Facebook, I'm like, the only asset is the end consumer's attention. Thus, they have to pander to the reactions and actions of the end consumer's attention. It's their only currency. You don't go to News Corp or CNN or BBC and try to give them money and they're like, no. You can here. They won't spend it all or the way you want it or they'll make it too expensive for you to not want it because they only value the end consumer's attention. Taking advantage of that during this golden era I think is one of the biggest opportunities in the marketplace. And so. My big thing is this, I bucket into two groups of people right now. One, the people that work at companies and what they spend their money on versus two, the people that have to feed their families with the business's success and what they spend their money on. And when you go look at the people that work at corporations and spend money on the media side and creative and what they're buying, and then you go look at entrepreneurs who have to put food on their table and what they're spending their money on, that will give you the biggest indication of what I think is going on today. And by the way, that, and I I wanna make this perfectly clear, that doesn't mean a CMO or a head of media at an agency is a bad person, stupid, or wrong. It means that's the game they're playing. Of course, if you're a CMO of a company that's internal MMM, doesn't score social, but overscores TV, you're gonna allocate those dollars because your bonus is predicated on hitting your numbers and you've gotta buy a second car for your daughter. Humans. Humans are why very, very, very big businesses go out of business. And so I'm super pumped because a ton of huge businesses are about to go out of business. (laughs) And not because I want that carnage, because I love the merit of the market. I love the merit of the market. When I lose, when bad things happen to me, I'm happy because it means I deserved it. Because I can't be excited about the good things without accepting the bad things. And I think that we are going to see absolute carnage over the next 30 years because of how much money is being thrown directly in the trash in yesterday versus how much money should be spent on today. This is not tomorrow for me. I would love to come back here next year and shit all over Facebook and Instagram. 
if the prices go up, they'll be pumped because that means a lot more money came into the system and that means it became properly and or overpriced. But today it is grossly underpriced for anybody on earth that is a practitioner and cares about the results. For everybody who panders to awards, headlines, internal MMMs and internal politics at your own company or all the other things, not so much. That's what's happening and it will always happen forever. And so, and by the way, these golden companies like some of these startups that are doing 100 million, they've got their vulnerability too. All they're doing is CAC and LTV for the next fundraising round. They're underwater too. And if the economy collapses and they don't raise the next round, they're gone too. So to me, the ultimate answer is not new or old or traditional or contemporary or startup or Fortune 500. Who's actually running a business? Not a financial arbitrage machine. That is the behavior I'm watching. That is the attention I care about. Uh, one other random thing, this is just more like fodder. It is scary how underpriced influencer marketing is if you deeply understand it, mainly because humans don't know how to price themselves. Some are completely out of their mind and want 20,000 a post when they're worth $300 in media and they bought their fans and you can tell. I love these fuckers with four million followers on Instagram with like nine likes. <laughs> like we know what you're doing, dick. Uh, but on the flip side, boy, the long tail of influencer marketing is fascinating. Getting a thousand different people. Now, it's a lot of hand-to-hand combat. It's a lot of non-working media dollars to get it done. But in net efficiency to the business result you're looking for, it's super real. So, that's it. I, uh, I don't think a single human being on earth watches a television commercial. I really don't. I think it's $80 billion in a system that has to go somewhere. It's 2019, it's time that people start acting like it. And I think that uh, it's taken me a long time to figure out why people don't. Now that I know, I have empathy for it, I understand it, doesn't mean it's right. And so I'm excited to watch this all play out and I'd love to open this up to Q&A. Thank you. I really, really, really meant what I said. The reason I cut it short is this is such an awesome crew and a lot of talent here and like I'm super humbled you're here and the sellout, that makes me feel nice. I really want to get into it. Like agree, disagree, curiosity, clarification. Who's got questions? How are you? Hi. Good What's your name? Uh, Debbie. Debbie. Um, so the constant debate we have at work yes. is what should frequency strategy be? Can you bombard people too much? Do they really get annoyed? Do they even remember your ads when they say it 20 times? What's your opinion? So I think it comes down to like, you know, it comes down to what you're bombarding them with. Can the New York Jets bombard me too much? Absolutely not. Bombard away, right? Can Milky Way candy bars bombard me too much? They sure can because I don't really like it or consider it, but if their creative is clever or utilitarian or interesting, what about more importantly, if they gave me four different creative instead of one. This, this question is predicated on the lack of the thing that I think people need to fill, which is more creative, right? I think you'd have, you know, one could argue, and my team argues about this all the time too, do we just run the 13 videos that have been proven to resonate with people in perpetuity, or do I keep creating new stuff, and what's the cadence? The answer is there's a level of both to the result. I think that 
I think it's a really bad idea to keep showing people shit that they don't want. So that is for sure. That being said, there's also a conversation that should be had in our industry which is difficult because of the technology advancements of potential reach and actual reach. Potential consumption and actual consumption. Meaning, I would also argue you can run that same Milky Way ad to me four times, I just might not see it the first three times even though it's registered as a view. But the fourth I may. You see where I'm going? So I think this is why we desperately have to tie this whole world into if Milky Way was testing how it was doing in Dublin at C stores over a one month period, it'd be a, you'd get far better answers than philosophical debate. In all those hours of the philosophical debate, if my company actually spent the right amount of time in the meetings that we should be spending, I'd have 400 less employees. We're in meetings debating dumb shit 24-7 in this industry. If we took half that time and did it into doing and testing and tasting, we'd all be much further along. So, questions? Back there? Oh, okay, you wanna go here first? Let's go ladies first, we'll get you next, mate. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, what's your name? My name's Lisa. Hi Lisa. Um, I have a business called Absolutely Advertising. Um, and I just want to um, tap into your mindset about how to build a personal brand. Okay. Um, and what's the best way to do that by using social media? So I think a couple things. And you may want to hold the mic because we may go back and forth here a little bit. Um, I think the best way to build uh, any brand is deeply, deeply into truths and authenticity, right? So when I started putting out content, for example, I curse on stage. If you go look at my 2007 videos on YouTube, I get murdered in the comment section for cursing, right? Far less acceptable 11 years ago than it is today for whatever reason. But I wouldn't waver because it was just a, you know, when you're a Jersey boy, this is just how you fucking talk, you know? And so, one, you've got to be you all the way through. Authenticity is such a like played out term but it's kind of like stereotypes. They're grounded in some truths. Authenticity really matters. High volume of content, not overthinking the audience in the way that most people don't show them true selves because they're worried about losing certain people around certain things, thus they become vanilla, right? To me, if you're a, into marketing but also a Jets fan and also you garage sale on the weekends and also you like root beer and sneakers, put it all out. Maybe my marketing community doesn't want the sneaker stuff but maybe they do and so a lot of overthinking, so volume of content. I think really being grounded in distribution of ads, like the fact that you can now again, because Facebook brought it back, target based on employees of, cust- of companies, just think about your business. You can target content based on employees of companies. So literally your video could be, hey, does your CMO know? That could be the beginning of your video. Or like, please make sure your head of HR knows. All of a sudden, three people of the 4,000 that you targeted forward that video to the head of HR. This is back to being a practitioner. So I think being grounded in the media capabilities, producing content, and the final thing I would say is make it consumable based on them, not on you, meaning video audio, written word, all if you can. Now if you're shy in front of a video, which I have empathy, some are, then you shouldn't do it. But 
if you can do video, it's the holy grail because then you can script the audio for podcast and audio. You can eventually, at first you can transcribe, but if you build up, you can hire somebody to transcribe it into LinkedIn, Medium, and Facebook posts. And then also, you know what? I put out a deck, an 88-page deck recently. I think it's titled Gary V Content Model. I literally just gave all my, like everything I do, my secrets for free, it's out there. You should look at that. The thesis is make content and then interpret it contextual to the channels, right? So maybe a a quote from this talk becomes an Instagram quote with a picture on it. Maybe this audio, for fact, this talk will be a podcast episode for me. So things like that. So it's creating content from content because you're busy and you're one person. So there's an efficiency of content production from a masterpiece of content that creates collateral that makes the volume that you're looking for more palpable than create, it's more documenting than creating, which as you can imagine makes it a lot easier because the creating part is what holds people back. You're welcome, my friend. Hi, um, Hi. I'm Ralph. Ralph. Uh, I just, I had a question about AR and VR technology. Okay. Because I think that's going to be the next big thing. Okay. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to go mainstream like, like social media did. Yep. When do you think companies are going to start actually using AR and VR technology to market? When they see enough normal human beings using it. Right? Like that's what happens. Yeah. Like companies wait for scale of usage to make them feel comfortable outside of a little test that's good for a headline, right? So look, after Pokemon Go, I was like, okay, here we go, right? Because that was scale. Like that was, a, that was the first, that was when I saw AR. I'm like, okay, you know, AR technology is something I've been, you know, they've been talking about for quite a while. That was the first time we saw it. Like people were doing things, it was awesome. I am stunned, I would have lost, and I like being right, I would have lost a lot of money two years ago if somebody bet me, okay Gary, Pokemon Go just worked. I wanna bet you that there won't be a single zero, not another significant app in AR to hit top 100 status consistently in the app store for the next two years, I would have bet the farm there'd be three because I thought on the back of Pokemon Go that Lucas and Marvel and you know, just anybody who had great IP would create great infrastructure and create something that we would all get suckered into, Lord of the Rings, like all of it. I'm stunned that we're here heading into 2019 and I don't have another thing to point to at 50, 20, 100 million users in AR, right? So I think that clearly that technology is gonna be incredible. VR is, blockchain and VR are the two platforms that you can see that could take the internet out the way the internet took the real world out, which means a piece of. Um, I don't know when it's gonna happen um, because timing is always the hardest part of these. I agree with you, the technology is super compelling, but I'm sure if we had a beer, we'd be surprised that there hasn't been anything on the back of Pokemon Go. If you really think about it, it's stunning. At scale, there's a ton of apps. I mean, humans using it. They'll start really using it once they see it. Bro, most, the, the big 5,000 biggest companies in the world are grossly underspending on social media. We're nine years into this thing. So AR, pfft. now, dev shops are gonna get Nissan to build an AR thing for a million bucks, like that's happening. But like when is it real real? 36 to 50 months after we all start really doing it for real. I think it'll be real once cell phones and like, and like, 
smartphones really integrate VR technology and AR technology so that yeah, everyone the, has but it. The, but the iOS already does for the fucking biggest, you know, like I like Apple's, I mean, it's pretty far along. They, like the kit is real. Like it, the technology, this is where people get caught. The technology is real. Social norms take a while. I won a lot of money when in 2002 and four, betting friends that online dating would be mainstream, not creepy. You know, social norms take much longer than tech. Where all my tech friends, when I spent that seven or eight years heavy in Silicon Valley, right? All my tech friends were funny to me because they were so educated on technology and so undereducated on consumer and human behavior. They're like, but we have it. I'm like, yeah, but they don't want it. Or they think it's weird. And social norms can change fast. If I told everybody in this room 10 years ago that in 10 years you're gonna want your 15 year old daughter to go into a strange man's car every day of the week versus her driving her own car, I would have been laughed off the, laughed off the stage. But now, in high net worth in neighborhoods all across the world, when a, when, a, when a teenage girl turns 15 or 16, she doesn't get a new car, she gets unlimited Uber. So that she can go into Ivan, the 48-year-old weird dude's car. Something I could have never sold as a social norm back then, but it did become one. So I think, I think it's social norms that you're waiting for. And to your point, when it's default, but it's, it's, the tech's far along, but if they really wanna go there, Android or Apple, and they really make it prominent or create an AR button, if they like really wanna force it, that's when you can start seeing the pieces coming together. Questions? You can pick anybody. Let's get to as many as we can. Hi, Jamie from uh, uh, Clearhead. We're a content production agency. Very nice. Um, How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Yourself? Um, I'm interested. When you're talking about generating two to 4,000 pieces of content for yes. a client, um, and clients are notoriously very precious about that content yes. and ownership, how do you balance that and um, continue to give that kind of trust and um, of the content that you're producing, but in essence, I suppose, without potentially the sign-off that you know, comes with those big 30, 60-second ads that they're used to managing as a, as a client? Well, so far, massively unsuccessful. <laughs> because either legal or the ego or insecurity of the brand manager or something else is stopping it, to your point. Like, what pe when people hear in the ad world two to 4,000 pieces of content, they think it's schizophrenic, they think it's throwing it up against the wall, they think it's not quality. There's a lot of negative connotation on it in the creative space, which is too bad, because I actually think the thesis that I'm talking about is going to be the golden era of creativity. When I, when I have a meaningful, you know, I'll get a lot of chief creative officers or creative directors, see a quote from a talk, call me a dick face on Twitter, I'll DM her or him, be like, yo, let's have a beer, we have a conversation, and after 30 minutes, like, oh, this is cool, you mean all my ideas can see the day of life? You know, how many people here are creatives again, just for context? I'm, I guarantee you the best idea you've ever had never saw the day of life, right? And what, you gotta work 20 years before you get to be the senior decision maker of the team? Because first you gotta get through your own fucking like, lead creative's ego, then he or she picks five down to two, then they go to the client. Oh, by the way, the clients spend 90% of their time actually running a business, not making a creative subjective call. They're, they're living in Excel not in creative land, they make a subjective call, then we run a ton of money on testing it against eight people in a weird room. <laughs> this is what brands think is better in 2019. Yeah, I mean, fresh eyes, right? Like, I was like, what do you mean focus groups? 
what do you mean? I remember that first meeting, I'm like, what the fuck's an animatronic? Or whatever, like, wait, you draw out the television commercial and place it in front of somebody and in a room and they say yes or no and you spend $200,000 on that? <laughs> I mean, this whole industry is so full of shit when it comes to practicality. <laughs> but I love it. And I mean that. I love it because it's fascinating. Uh, so the way I've done it so far in the three meaningful ways Vayner's done it, which has transformed that business, transformed our business because we got a lot more business from them, was they were three brands that were fucking dead in the water and they had no other choice. Excellent, great advice, thanks. You got it. Literally the last phone call, which is our biggest win of all, and it's gonna be a big deal for our company, the guy calls and goes, we're just in a meeting, the brands have been declining for seven straight years, double digits, and our senior leader said, call that crazy guy, we have nothing to lose anyway. <laughs> Let's see if he's full of shit. And we took a brand where we got no money and significantly changed the outcome at C-Store and Supermarket because we made creative for, you know, I, I don't know, this is very rogue thinking. If you target a Packers fan, and they like the Green Bay Packers, and, they, and we also target a woman who's a Green Bay Packers fan, and you know, you know that you're doing that. Thus, you make the video for somebody who's a woman who likes the Packers, it tends to do better than the interpretation of the 30 fucking second spot. Common sense, if you know the capabilities and you have the infrastructure, the problem is agencies aren't built to be able to do that profitably, that means it's not gonna happen. And that's okay, that means they'll change over time. And that's the change. And we will do that and we will win and then everybody will look and they will change. But most of all, and hopefully, you wanna talk about what I really care about? I'm desperate to inspire two girls right now at the you know, Savannah School of Design who are graduating this year who are gonna start a badass agency that they're gonna look at us and they're gonna say, you know what? Staying independent forever is a good idea. That's what I wanna do. You wanna you want really get creativity back to the forefront of this industry? Let's encourage young women and men who are starting companies to not sell their companies to holding companies. The way I'm planning on encouraging it is to live it and show it that it can be done. Then it will get interesting. Cool, questions? Let's get the mics. Pick anybody, awesome. Hi, Hey. Uh, my name's Fraser. Fraser. Uh, I've got a question around how you balance the tension between creating lots of different creative for different segments with testing and learning and scaling. Yep. Because they are obviously opposed. Meaning, I wanna make sure you've I got, you've got a You've gotta put in a huge amount of time to create the creative and then even more time to do the testing and learning. That's right. So how do you achieve that across that scale? By not wasting all the rest of the money on dumb shit like a $400,000 video that goes on TV, right? So like, you're right, it costs money, but if you create a creative process, which we have, where you can produce content at a scale that, that is not expensive. And there's a lot of other ways. I'll give you one that I think a lot of people enjoy. I think copy is the great non-conversation that we're not having in the creative space. We've been unbelievably effective in Facebook and Twitter to just write copy as a signal or indicator to then allow us to have the audacity to make a picture. Then the picture does well. Again, signals like sales sometimes, or maybe, and we don't just rely on it, engagement metrics, that's just an indicator, not it's been successful, because if that was the case, I would put babies and puppies in every post. <laughs> but to me, it's write copy to give you the audacity to spend a thousand bucks to make a picture. Then run that, 
and let that be successful in however you deem it to give you the audacity to make a $20,000 video. Then let that be successful to give you the audacity to make a $300,000 video. Got it? So it's, it's about creating at scale down below, but you have to understand what else happens to all the people that raised their hand on media. When you don't waste media money because you've got creative that creates an earned CPM and you amortize it out, you start talking about the most fascinating thing about my thesis, which is more money going back into creative and the reallocation of working and non-working media dollars. So it's been really fun as you can imagine now that I feel like I understand the industry better. I come out the gate and the creative world's like this is just DR, da da da. You start really playing it out. This is the creative nirvana that all of us thrive for. That's it? I could squeeze three more minutes. Okay, yeah, cool. Let's get the last question then, guys. Where are we going? Who's got the mic? Who's got the mics? Oh, here we go. Awesome. Thank you. That went quick. I'll be quick. Hi. Hi, Gary. My name is Miney. I just oh. wanted to ask you, what does women's health and fitness mean to you? Women's health and fitness? Um, <laughs> to me personally? Yes. Um, I would prefer it for everyone. The, con <laughs> the context is I wanted to capture the attention of all the women in this audience. Um, I run a women's health and fitness uh, Instagram account yes. and Facebook movement. Yes. I just wanted to, you to all know that. Uh, it's called She Can Move It. Thank you. Did you hack the crowd? Yes, I did hack the I crowd. Love I love you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. What's up, podcast? Going to do something really fun. Uh, Obviously, just listen to that keynote. Uh, Campaign Magazine, which is a big advertising industry magazine, asked me for an interview after that keynote. You're about to get the exclusive behind the scenes uh, audio, which is fun, audio of that. Uh, but while you're doing that, please rate and review the podcast. I have not asked any of you to rate and review my podcast ever. We suck, Andy. I've never asked any of you to rate and review it. Now I'm asking, I, listen, I'll be honest with you, fuck the behind the scenes campaign interview. Close this out right now. Go rate and review my fucking podcast. And by the way, give me a one star. I don't give a shit. Just give it your truth. Five. Uh, rate and review. I wanted to pick up on a lot of the things Please. you talked about. Really interesting talk. Um, you seem particularly frustrated <laughs> in um, marketing decisions. You'd say, Stop me if I'm wrong, but you would say that you'd spend all your money on Facebook and Instagram if you were a marketer. And would that apply, are you really saying that applies to even the biggest FMCG companies in the world, the world's biggest advertisers? Yeah, and I, I and look, I think that, I think that for the biggest advertisers, I have empathy for many other behaviors, but it is the analogy and needs the context so it's not hyperbolized that when something is grossly underpriced, if, if every English, I'll give you the analogy. If every English Premier League team reached out to RBS Bank right now and said, you know what? Even though we've been getting $15 million a year sponsorships for our stadiums, we like you. And we all want to offer you eight year deals at one million a year. I think it's probably a good idea for RBS to buy them all. That's where my mind goes with Facebook. I don't think people understand the arbitrage. It's not that television and outdoor and direct mail is zero or dead. Not at all. It's that most of those things are overpriced. This other thing is underpriced. That means it needs its proper allocation. 
in today's world, if you are a massive company in the UK market, between Instagram and Facebook, you are getting to a shocking amount of people at a very low cost. But meanwhile, they wanna deck out a double-decker bus for awareness, you know? So, I would say this. Nobody is allocating the appropriate amount of money to Facebook and Instagram, given how underpriced it is. Do I believe that Pepsi and Puma in the UK should, or in Europe should spend 50, 60% of their money just on Facebook and Instagram? The answer is yes. Should they do a lot of the other things they do? Yep, but they should cut the budgets on all those things so that they can afford the 50 to 60% on Facebook and Instagram. I believe that. Um, I mean, it's really interesting, but in the context of the creative side of it, mm-hmm. You've talked a lot about and you talk about how you don't understand why some of these big marketing campaigns, why they aren't doing more iterations mm-hmm. of the same central creative. Well, oh, I know why. why. Doing more I know why. It's not in the margin for the media or creative agency. But I don't know why Coke is not pushing back. But to take one step back, please. There, there clearly needs to be a central creative idea, does there not? And you will still need to have a creative agency or an integrated agency, whatever you want to call it. But, you need to have creative. But I think you'll appreciate that. Yeah, but I think you'll appreciate this. That's not what's happening, even in the traditional world. There's a TVC, but Coca-Cola is. What is Coca-Cola doing? Sponsoring a NASCAR car and putting their logo on it, and not tying it into their TVC. So yes, has the marketing world worked where Coca-Cola creates the polar bears and they go on television and billboards and collateral in stores? I understand. I do not believe that's right in 2019. Because guess what? Me and Omar don't give a fuck about polar bears. But we may love video games and maybe they should do a Call of Duty or, or Fortnite integration too. Because they do. That's the great farce. They do a ton of other little things and different things. Uh, I'm interested, yeah, you said right at the end of the talk, you don't believe that anybody watches a TV ad. That's right. It's slightly hyperbolic, I think. So yes. People still do watch TV. But I, no, no, but, no, no. Uh, people watch TV. But there's a big drop off to then say TV commercial. Because I believe that a staggering amount of people, if they even see a commercial in a world of Netflix and Amazon Prime, if they even see one, when it goes to commercial, they go here. I believe that. I'm interested to know what's the last TV ad you remember seeing? I probably can recall one, let me think. Because when I watch the New York Jets, I don't fast forward to commercials because I'm just yelling at my friends being upset. (laughs) So I must have caught one this Sunday. Here's the good news though, and I think this is important to say because this is not to me about digital or traditional. I don't know if I can recall the last Facebook or Instagram. I don't consume that way. You know, I'm like just focused on people consuming my content and other content. I I consume people consuming. Um, I don't know. Okay, and just very finally, um, Facebook before you was talking a lot about attention. There's clearly a message that hasn't worked up until now, what they want to reinforce now, is that they're frustrated with the way that digital ads on Facebook, for example, are being measured. Yes, I saw that. that duration. Yes, use. that's smart. Want, and so they're, they're talking more about attention, how we actually measure attention. I or to business know. results, right, I caught it. Yeah. They were adding fully. I wanted to know your take on that. 
I think that's the right read. I don't know how they're gonna measure it, right? Like, I would win so many of my arguments if we all had chips in our brains and I could prove to everybody that nobody's watching a television commercial or that billboards are overpriced because everyone's looking at a phone. I look at macro results and I know that the biggest companies in the world are losing market share to the death of a thousand cuts. Johnson & Johnson, Unilever, and Procter & Gamble are not losing market share to each other. They're losing it to the emerging brands that are marketing in a contemporary way. That's real life. Gillette didn't lose market share to Schick. They're losing it to Harry's and Dollar Shave, right? That's real. I have a real passion about that truth. So I think they're right, but they have a long way to go to getting agencies on board to care about actual results. It's an agency's best interest to not be held accountable for actual results. And by the way, and it's tough because I don't think that's bad of the agencies. I think it's capitalism. They're publicly traded companies that have to be held accountable to their shareholders, not to their clients, right? Mm. Yeah, interesting issues. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, I really appreciate it. How you been? Yeah, very good. Um, I um, I don't know if you ever want to follow Campaign Magazine. I do. Um, I was the news editor for about three and a half years. I'm just taking a new role as the technology editor. Oh, good for you. Um, so I'm really excited. There's just, there's just so much to write about, whether it's about creative advertising, media, or just kind of AI innovation. There's just so much going on, and it's like it's just a battle to kind of things. But really good to meet you, Thank you. finally. Thank you. Um, and it'd be great to kind of stay in touch with Anytime. you because I'm writing for the US in a global role as and well. And good news, and I think you'll appreciate this because I'm such an advocate of media, maybe more than ever in these days. Um, on or off the record, if I can ever bring you value, you're just trying to double check on something. I've, I've figured out how to get plenty of attention on my own. I'm not, I'm not gonna hold anybody hostage for like, give me the quote. If I can bring value, please feel free. And I do think I see things slightly different than most, so. And how often are you in the UK nowadays? Every eight weeks. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Cool. What's the best way to reach out to you, then? Email.